0: Date of the division for the NL East after a big series this weekend, Mets versus Braves. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the best offensive duos in this division. This is Ryan Ficklestein, managing editor at Just Baseball. Gaarm Layton, our co-founder here. And before we talk about duos, that series for my Mets has me feeling really good. They're now 71-39 and 39 on the season, seven games up on the Braves. The Braves are closer to the Phillies than they are to the Mets. After losing four or five this weekend,
1: yeah that that was that was definitely a big blow to all the momentum that the Braves had, right? I mean, uh, we were talking about not too long ago how I, I thought that they could potentially catch them, but you know, also at the same time, what what a great time to get Degrom back <laughs> uh, to start to get the team looking fully just what we expected it to be at the beginning of the season. Right as you go into that series, DeGrom looks spectacular. Uh, I mean, now that I hate to put too much stock in one series, but when you sweep, it, it makes it a lot more difficult. You know, you know, two and one, you, you fall one game back, three zero, you fall three
0: games back. It's a big difference. And uh, now the Braves are on the outside looking in. Yeah. And you look at what they did last night against the Reds, and to me, it's just showing how the addition of DeGrom lengthens this rotation. Now Chris Bassett's your three. And I think when you have those two guys starting in front of him, now you're seeing the best version of Chris Bassett. He goes eight innings with one uh, one run. It was unearned. So now this Mets rotation, one through five, it's Scherzer, DeGrom, Bassett, Carrasco, both of them pitching much better over the last month, and Taiwan Walker, who had been the Mets' most consistent starter all season. I love the one through five. And David Peterson shoved against the Braves, on saturday as well in a spot start is this the best rotation in baseball i mean it's right there right i I think if Degrom's
1: healthy absolutely um that's a big if i I think the astros are right there too because verlander and what he's doing right now is just otherworldly but it's so hard to peg the mets because we're talking about the best pitcher on planet earth who's in and out right so like what is the Mets rotation rank as with DeGrom, the best pitcher in there? Probably the best pitcher or the best rotation in baseball. But then you subtract the best pitcher in baseball. Now it looks different. And I guess as of now, with him looking healthy, uh, I, it, I'm nervous. I really hope he does stay healthy. Um, it's got to be the best rotation. I mean, you're not going to – we're talking duos. You get a better pitching duo than Scherzer and DeGrom. I mean, Scherzer looks like he's starting to – Almost come into his best peak form right, right now this season. And uh, we saw him fade a bit last year in the postseason. I think there was a concerted effort uh, to, to not have that happen this year. And we know Scherzer is a freak when it comes to working out and, and getting in shape and doing all the right things. And I think he's got to focus on really having a second wind in the second half here. It's really all about DeGrom staying healthy. And there's nothing we can do to predict that, but
0: just hope. Yeah, I think as a Mets fan, I want to be optimistic. In some weird way, the injuries that both Scherzer went through, the the oblique and DeGrom missing this first half of the season, it could give them fresher arms down the stretch, and you might get the best version of them in October. And that right there makes the Mets maybe the most dangerous team in baseball because, as we've talked about, since they made the Scherzer signing, you go into any series with DeGrom and Scherzer able to start maybe four of seven games, and the Mets have an amazing chance to win it. But let's talk about offensive duos here. I'm going to be writing an article – uh, going through the best offensive duos in baseball. And it felt like the perfect thing to bring it to state. And we kind of discuss each division here, which duos are the best. I want to give a passing mention to the Phillies before we get into kind of the meat of our conversation. Braves, Mets here. You got Reese Hoskins having a great season for them, hitting 253, 344 on base, 496 slugging, a 133 WRC plus with 24 bombs. If Harper was around, he's got a 166 WRC plus. That could be the best duo. Without him, you're looking at Schwarber who has 34 bombs and a 120 WRC plus leading the league in homers, but he strikes out at a 31% clip. I think because there's holes in his swing, that's why I'm just kind of leaving them out of this conversation and focusing in on Mets and Braves. And and we're not saying just –
1: offensive duos it's it's position player duos right yeah. so we're talking defense we're talking f4 you know everything that they bring to the equation here and and Kyle Schwarber's having a good year right I, it's nothing against Schwarber but it's all on the bat here so unless he's hitting you know 45 pumps and and really I would say putting together a more consistent season average wise uh, it's hard to to justify him as one of the two best players on the team uh, when we're talking about best duos in baseball. That said, Schwarber has been a big part of the Philly success and uh, has been far from a disappointment
0: as a free agent signee. Yeah, especially better than the other guy that got in Castellanos who has been struggling so much this season. But we get into what I think is a really interesting debate here. Dansby, Swanson, and Austin Riley versus Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonzo. You look at Swanson, uh, you know, and honestly right now him and Lindor – are neck and neck when it comes to F4. Swanson at 4.8, Lindor at 4.7. You look at the offensive side of it, the the offensive runs above average, Lindor slightly better, Swanson slightly better on defense, and they come out to almost the same player. Specifically on the offense, Swanson we've talked about all year, hitting 292, 348 on base, 461 slugging, 125 WRC plus, 16 home runs, 14 steals, 58 RBIs. The walk rate at 7.3%, strikeout rate at 26.3%. Uh, this season, I, I think you can make an argument. He's been, I mean, has he been the best shortstop in baseball? If not him, I mean, he's right up there. I Dansby? Yeah, Dansby's <laughs> just crazy. Uh, you know, it's it's been amazing to see
1: uh, Lindor kind of settle in now. And this is what we were kind of expecting last year, right? I, I think the expectations had to shift a little bit from this is not a guy that's going to hit a ton of home runs like he hits homers but I think people were expecting 35 homers and a 150 WRC plus no what Lindor is going to do is be a five tool player for you and, and also run into baseballs when you need to I I would probably take Lindor's season at this point over Dansby Swanson's if you look at the eyes of F war uh, Swanson at 4.8 Lindor at 4.7 but a few more homers less strikeouts uh, I still just think Lindor is a bit more dynamic, obviously. But the fact that we're even talking about this as uh, Swanson versus Lindor is is pretty wild. And it's a testament to the kind of year that Swanson is having. But, um, yeah, I think you could easily say that, that Lindor has been the best all-around shortstop in
0: baseball this season. It's crazy. And I think at the beginning of the year, he made some errors and that maybe hurt his F4 and things like that. And now the defense has kind of shown through. We see he's back to being you know, one of not the best defensive shortstop in baseball. And the thing that I love about Lindor from watching him every day is he's giving you good at bats. Like you look at that walk rate, the strikeout rate, the fact that he's striking out, you know, less than 20% of the time, I mean, just barely at 19.8, but still he's walking almost 10% of the time. It really does just give you to me a a more complete hitter. Whereas Dansby Swanson, as he strikes out at a 26% rate, like, you can still you know, get him out on a day and, and he could just have kind of meaningless at bats. Whereas Lindor, I feel like is always competitive up there. A hundred
1: percent. And I think that's the, you know, the, the, the thing that you get with a switch hitting Lindor, who's not striking out much. And like you said, giving you competitive ABs, it's just, it's just a different kind of player where I think it's just, you feel like he's impacting a game in so many different ways. And, that Alonzo Lindor combination is going to be a problem in the end, at least for a long time. I I don't know what the what the future looks like with how the Mets plan to lock up Alonzo, but I I can't imagine him anywhere else. Um yeah. how many more years
0: of control does he have? I want to say two beyond this year. I think he we just hit his we, first arb year this year.
1: This might be the first year where we start hearing negotiations in the offseason with, you know, a pre-arb deal for Alonzo. Lock up that core for a while. That's got to be One of the more terrifying duos. Uh, And also you wrote something last year on just baseball.com about how Pete Alonso's defense has gotten better at first base. And I I don't know how it's trended this year, but I would I would say he's probably a net positive still as a first baseman at the position.
0: So surprisingly, the defensive metrics have gone way down. I haven't caught it watching. Like, that's the thing. You can say that the outs of a badge, I think he might be in like the bottom 10 percent of the league this year. So it hasn't looked great. But when I watch Mets baseball, I don't think they have a hole at first base with Pete Alonso. And considering where he was in 2019, getting subbed out of games in the beginning of the season, I think that's a, a positive development. And, you know, talking about these duos again here, these guys have been clutch in Lindor and Alonso. You look at the major league leaders and go ahead RBIs this season. Number one, Pete Alonso with 24. Number two, Francisco Lindor with 20. Um, they're high leverage. Both of them are in the top five when it comes to WRC+. In high leverage situations. That list is Mookie Betts at 269, uh Andres Jimenez at 267, <laughs> uh Matt Olson at 240, and then you got Alonzo at 224 and Lindor at 204. So they've been so clutch, they've driven in 172 runs between them. You compare that to Riley and Swanson at 127. I know that a big part of that is having Nimmo and Marte in front of those two guys, yeah, but still that's a big discrepancy. And they got them in home runs as well, 48 home runs. For Lindor and Alonso, 45 for Riley and Swanson.
1: And, and also, you mentioned the home runs with a combined sub-20% K rate, which I think exactly. is extremely rare in today's game to have that much power and still strike out that little. The fact that Pete Alonso is striking out 19.6% of the time shows you you know what he has figured out at the plate in terms of being able to make more contact without it compromising his power. Uh, that, that's that got to be one of the best. I'm excited to see where you, you rank this duo, uh across you know compared to the rest of baseball i know we're talking at least uh on this episode but i'm excited for that article because i i'm curious how how you're gonna peg your guys uh
0: versus everybody else i'm gonna try to remove the bias i know there's a couple guys in st louis that i'm thinking right now before i dive into the numbers are likely the top duo in baseball but we'll, we'll see exactly how it shakes out and the one last thing when you mentioned you know, Alonso's strikeout, his walk rate, to me, the most impressive thing, nearly identical to what he did last year. So that just shows his consistency as a hitter. You're yeah, talking about, it yeah, two full seasons of him being this guy. Obviously the numbers have ticked up a bit this year, but even look at some of the more you know advanced metrics, like when he's swinging outside of the zone, inside of the zone, it's all like within a percentage point of two of last season. So yeah. I love that consistency from Pete Alonzo.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I'm excited for the Braves now. Let's let's. Who are we pegging with? There's here's the thing that's scary about the Braves is, I think when you look at the Mets, it's very clear to me. I mean, they've got a lot of good players. Don't get me wrong; they're 71 games that they've already won. But I, when you look at the the Mets, it's very clear who the two best offensive players are. I think there right now. Uh, when you look at the Braves, there's a lot of guys that you could kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, you could kind of pitch there as as the the two best guys. There's a lot more of, I guess. I would say parody with the, the bats in their lineup, but with the trend of Austin Riley, I think he can be right there. In this duo, could be right there too with any in baseball.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. You know, you look at at the other names like if you just talk about pure talent, like you're probably talking Riley and Acuna or Acuna and Olson this season. It's been Swanson and Riley, and Austin Riley has been by far their best player. Really, two ninety six average, three fifty eight on base, five eighty four slugging. 157 WRC plus, 29 bombs, 69 RBIs. Uh, you know, he, once again, it seems like last year where as the season goes on, he just gets better and better and better and continues to to stack up good ABs. And I, I mean, I think that Goldschmidt has the, this MVP pretty much wrapped up. It would take a pretty big fall, I think, for him not to win it. But I, I think that Riley and Alonzo are both going to be in the top five, in my opinion, when it comes to the end of the season, the MVP voting. Here's the thing, Is I agree, I think Goldschmidt's Schmidt's in great shape, but it, I, Austin Riley's doing
1: everything he can to catch him. Over his last 40 games, 368, 419, 711 slash line. That's a 208 WRC plus with 11 home runs. Um, I, I don't know how long he can keep this up, but this is, this is a Bryce Harper-esque stretch from last year. And you remember this time last year, we were pretty much – Considering I, I gave it out as a bet on our TikTok, I remember like bet Bryce Harper plus 700 uh, to win the MVP. And he did. So, you know, if, if Goldschmidt slows a bit and Austin Riley continues on this, just ridiculous tear, it's possible. Um, I, I just can't believe what he's doing right now because Riley's a guy that we're talking about Alonzo finding that consistency back to ball wise without compromising the power. That's what Austin Riley's doing right now, and uh, this is one of the best players in the game, right, at this moment, uh, and definitely one of the best third basemen. Clearly, the Braves feel the same way, uh, giving him $200 million, and, man, I'm just very interested to see how long he can keep this up, and I'm starting to believe that he, he could probably keep it up for, for a, a, a long time and, and through the duration of the season. I don't know if he hits 370 the rest of the way, but, I mean, the fact that he's doing that over a span of 40 games
0: is is just outrageous. In the second half last year, he got on base at a 418 clip and had a 191 WRC plus. So Riley did it for an entire second half last year. I don't see why he couldn't do it again this year. And yeah, if he keeps doing this, I, I think that because you know Goldschmidt's gonna win a batting title, and <laughs> his, yes. his power numbers are right there with these guys. And also, you know, if we talk about most valuable on a team, if the Cardinals win that division in particular, he's gonna have the narrative on his side as well. But I think for Riley, he is you know given as good of at bats as anyone and making a case for himself. I think Alonzo, I, I and I just wrote an ar- article for us about his MVP case, and really it was more that he's going to finish in the top five. If you read the article, I don't actually think he's going to win the award. I'm not that biased, but the reason why I could see Alonzo being in that conversation is simply if he paces the the league in RBIs by twenty, and the Mets somehow finish with the best record and they have a light schedule. So I could see the Mets catching the Dodgers. There could be this kind of groundswell that would go for Pete Alonzo if he has, you know, let's just say he has 50 RBIs in the final two months here.
1: He's the most productive player on the best team. Is exactly. usually going to get some some top five votes. Obviously, playing first base probably, it makes it more difficult. That's why Goldie has to hit the way he's hitting. And the fact that they play the same position, again, you're just going to put the numbers side by side. And if the Cardinals make the playoffs, it's like, okay, yeah. uh, Paul Goldschmidt's played a big part in that. Um, what I'm interested in is if we're comparing duos here, you know, I think when door, we talked when door and Dansby are pretty much right, neck and neck Alonzo versus Riley right now, you talk about the runs driven in, but I think by the time we look at the end of the season here, I think Riley's going to have the the better campaign by a little bit. Uh, and again, that's not a slight on, on Pete Alonzo. I freaking love that guy, but if he does what he did second half last year. And he's already on pace to smash last year's home run total. He has twenty nine this season. Riley does. He had thirty three last year. I I think he's this duo could in this year specifically could be the more
0: productive duo. What do you think? I think you're right. I, I think that that Lindor would have to widen the gap from Swanson to give the Mets the edge. I think right now you could almost call this a dead heat, and I could see Riley pulling away from Alonzo and Lindor pulling away from Swanson, and the question is which one's better. I actually think if we kind of expand this out and we're looking at this division, what's interesting to me is let's go one through five for a second here. So Alonzo, Lindor, you got McNeil, Marte, and Nemo, all of them right around a 130 WRC+. plus. Who are the th- the other, you know, three that we've thrown for the Braves? It's it's Olsen, it's Acuna. Um, who, who else am I forgetting here? Harris, maybe? Michael Harris, the way he's been swinging it, yeah. So, I like, which five would you take? I mean, you are the one that doesn't have bias. You don't have a horse in this race. Which five are you taking here? Uh, I mean, I think what the Mets have built
1: um, is, is just so safe. Um, yeah. But I would say – the, the Braves five could easily have more upside, but, but I'm not here for upside. I'm here for consistency. I'm going to lean towards, towards what the Mets have built because you talk about 130 WRC plus guys that put the bat on the ball and just hit line drive. Spencer Strider can call it lucky. It's not, uh, you hit a lot of line drives. Your Bab is going to be high. Um, that said there's a chance where the, the Braves, you know, Austin Riley continues on his second half. Matt Olson, who's been good this year, starts channeling more of the great that he was last year. Swanson continues doing what you know what he's doing. Darno's been swinging it well, and Michael Harris has been spectacular. Ronald Acuna is the big problem here, which is yeah. funny to say um, because he, he's got a one sixteen WRC plus. But if Ronald Acuna is playing to the MVP level that we know he can, then I'm probably taking the you know what we've got over here in Atlanta because we're talking about you know a Hank Aaron award finalist and Matt Olson we're talking about an MVP caliber player in Ronald Acuña an MVP caliber player in Austin Riley like there's just and then Dansby Swanson having this magical year that I'm taking that group but right now at this juncture with the way that Acuña has looked give me the safe pick with the Mets um but again that kind of shows you that the the Braves have been
0: somewhat disappointing and have still yeah. been really good <laughs> It's crazy, and I think that if you look at the future, that's why this division is going to be so much fun to follow because that core for the Braves is locked up. I think the Mets, for the most part, you know, McNeil, Alonzo, Lindor are going to be there, Marte's locked up. See what happens with Nemo, but you know Steve Cohen's always adding. So this is going to be a really fun division to watch the rest of the season and into the future. Before we close out today, I don't know if we need to spend much time on your Marlins or the Nationals, to be honest here, but the Phillies are 9-1 in their last 10 they are now only three games behind the Braves, Um, a a sneaky team here. I mean, they're looking more and more like at least a wildcard team. And it's crazy to think that, you know, if they were to have a nice week here and the Braves maybe falter a bit, like, like, could the Phillies have a better record than the Braves at some point this season? I don't think it'll hold, but could we see it in the next month here? I'm looking forward to, to those two
1: teams kind of duking it out a little bit. And, And I'm trying to see when that comes up again here with, We don't we don't memorize schedules uh, too much, but that that would be a little bit too insane. But I'm pulling it up now. Uh, The Phillies, they have the Marlins for three. Then they play at New York, three more at Cincinnati, four more at New York, four more at Cincinnati. So they don't play Atlanta until September, Um, but they do play Atlanta for seven games over a span of nine. Um, So that's going to be a vital stretch there. And that could be a season defining stretch because after that final game against Atlanta, September 25th, there's only about 10 games left in the season. So that will probably make or break uh, their position with the Braves there. What's interesting is is it it all ties back to the Mets, though, for them to really be able to, to close in here. They just have to perform better than the way the Braves performed against the Mets. You have to hope, I guess, that you at least take one of the three coming up, which is a low bar. I think they could take two out of three because they do have Nola and Wheeler timing up here with this series. And then you absolutely have to split two and two against the Mets. And you have to have to win the majority of those Cincinnati Reds, Pittsburgh, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh games as well with the Pirates and then three more with Arizona. I think that it really comes down to not getting beat up by the, by the Mets and winning the games you're supposed to win because they do have the soft games around it. A lot of games against Miami as well. Washington, the Phillies have a soft schedule. And what's amazing is they're doing this without last year's MVP. I I, I really think they could put something together here, which is crazy. And again, I think a lot of it hinges on Ronald Acuna Jr. and what he can do for them, because we know that the Braves just sent down Ian Anderson. Um, they're now leaning on Jake Odorizzi to give them more important innings. Um, and the Phillies made some quiet additions. It's it's going to get really interesting. But I think the Phillies have solidified themselves here as a legitimate threat in the wild card. Who's the odd man out then? There, uh, do we think the Bra- that the Phillies can really pull this off
0: in the wild card? I, th- you know, what I think is actually happening here. You have the Cardinals that have you know taken the lead in the Central, and I, I think that they are going to win that division. You have a Brewers team that just saw their trader, their, their trader, their closer hater, combining <laughs> some words there. Get traded, get traded, uh, and, and I think that that team is maybe a little bit demoralized that they've lost six of their last ten. So yeah, if you're looking at the two teams, I think that because of the pitching, the Brewers. Had been better all year, but now you have this Phillies lineup rolling. You add Syndergaard to that rotation, maybe solidify things a little bit. You obviously have your top two. The bullpen got fortified a lot with Robertson, like, and also they got the defense too in center. Now, yeah, I think that maybe the Phillies should be considered a you know they have a better record, a, a better playoff bet than the Brewers right now.
1: And, and I know that the Padres have lost five in a row, which is pretty funny because they they obviously just got you know one of the best players to ever hit the open market. The Padres are going to figure it out. They're going to be just fine. So you, you look at it, and it's really the Phillies are the most "quote unquote" vulnerable team. I think you know, and and they clearly don't look very vulnerable. And the Brewers stink now yeah. that they've traded their closer. I think that's it's an internal issue. Obviously, we saw Devin Williams' interview, and um, now all of a sudden the Phillies look like a playoff team. Uh, whether they catch the Braves or they hold on to that wild card spot, so uh, we talked about it before the season that the NL East could send three teams, and it looks like. I would bet on them sending
0: three teams. I think the one thing that could stand of the Phillies way, maybe this is where we close here, is the fact that they're about to play the Mets a bunch. That could hurt them. The, the one thing you talk about, staying in the division and winning a division. Here's what the Mets have done this year against the division. They're 8-4 and four against the Braves. They're 9-3 and three against the Phillies. They're 10-3 and three against the Nationals. And they are 10-4 against the Marlins. That is how you win a division right there. And they haven't lost a series yet to this. Div- I think the Marlins are the only team that's even split a series <laughs> against the Mets this year. So, I mean, that's that's really what it's going to boil
1: down to, right? And, and I'm very, very excited. I might try to attend one of those games where it's going to be a great atmosphere. Nola Gram on yeah. Saturday, that's what it's projected to be on the 13th here. That's going to be a huge series to kind of determine The path, the good news, though, for the Phillies is if they lose two out of three there, they get another shot at home for four against the Mets. So, like we said before, seven games of the next 13 are against the best team right now in their division and arguably the best team in baseball. Dodgers also trending in that same direction. (laughs) Um, It's going to be make or break for the Phillies in that stretch, though. You know, they will have a month against some other bad teams to try to make up for lost time and a lot of games against, you know, poor teams. Is it more of the last question I guess I'll ask is is it gonna be more of the Phillies getting hot or the Braves falling apart if one's gonna happen? Like if, if the Phillies are gonna surpass the Braves, which I don't think is gonna happen, I still think the Braves are gonna, you know, settle in and be just fine. You think it would be more of the Phillies just staying on this crazy path, adding Bryce Harper and just getting super hot?
0: Or is it the Braves faltering that allows, you know, maybe them to flip flop? Uh, I think it's the Phillies. I think it's the Phillies getting high with Bryce Harper. My eye is freaking out, dude. A bug flew into my eye. So this is, this is like flu game now trying to fight through the end of this podcast here. But, uh, yeah, man, I I think Bryce Harper coming back. This is always a team we said was like a home run team, like a puncher's chance team. Uh, and I think that's what could happen if the right pieces come together. And, you know, maybe you get Castellanos going a little bit. Schwarber stays He's hot. He's showing some signs of life, Castellanos. He is. So so that's the thing. I think if that lineup can take off, we always felt like this could be a streaky team. And you now are in, you know, almost a COVID season, right? You got, what, 42 games or 52 games, something like that? Uh, they could go on a run, and I, I think that would be the way they would overtake the Braves. I, I just – the Braves are too good to completely fall apart, in my opinion.
1: I think the Braves are too good, and the Phillies are going to have to get – really hot and beat them when they play them down the stretch. NL East might be, I know the AL East is a blast. NL East might be right there now down the stretch here as one of the most fun divisions to watch in baseball. And I'm very excited for these divisional matchups between the top three teams, which uh, I know the Braves faltered in that sweep, but yeah, you know, they they look like they're playing some of their best baseball over the last month, uh, all three teams, as as we start to trend towards the, the final stretch here.
0: And that's why you should be following us for the State of the Division NL East. We're now going to be trying to change the schedule up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The East Division's on Tuesday, the Central on Wednesday, and the West on Thursday. Make sure you're following us on YouTube and the podcast feed at State of the Division. And we'll be back next week to talk about more of the NL East.